You know, we love that's such. Isn't that just such a great story of, of Dick or uh, Dale and Alice? I mean, just what a great story. We see stories like this, you know, in in 81 years of wedded bliss, right? That's just amazing. And um, you know, uh, I think I think when I think about marriages, if you're married today, if you if you are married or you have been married or even considering marriage in in the future, I think that that is a picture of what we actually desire, right? No one goes into marriage going, "This is going to be a miserable failure. Let's go." You know, you don't you don't enter marriage like that. You have these dreams of like this, you know, living to be 99 years old. As a matter of fact, uh, Dale lived to be 101 years old. You know, so and, and 81 years of marriage is an amazing accomplishment. And so, but, um, you know, they began from humble beginnings. They didn't, they didn't even have enough to buy a bottle of champagne for their wedding. But none of that mattered because over the next 81 years, they built their life and they said they, they, they uh, lack for nothing but wanting more time together. And I think that's just a great testimony. And it starts, what's interesting is the video actually started by saying, behind every great man is a greater woman. And I think that that's really, it's, it's great advice about how to become great as individuals, but the question still remains, how do you have a great and lasting, enduring, dynamic marriage, right? And so when we see couples like Dale and Alice and their 81 years of experience in marriage, we kind of want to glean any of the good wisdom that they have and how they made it last. It's clearly, it seems the number one thing you need to do is husbands, make sure that, or wives, I guess, make sure that your husbands always, you let them always have your way. Uh, that seems like one of the methods. But you know, if you, could, if you could bottle that stuff and sell it as a pill, right, you'd be like millionaire in no time because this is what our heart desires in a relationship, healthy, long-lasting uh, relationships. And we're in a two-part message that began last week with Derek who talked primarily to the men and about how uh, men are to love their wives. And we're uh, framing, uh, we're, we're looking today uh, specifically at marriages and how to make them lasting and enduring and be the greatest they can. But even more important than that, than just simply looking at how to have a great marriage, what we really want to look at is understanding what is God's desire for marital bliss? What, is, what does the Bible have to say about marriages? And uh, we're framing this discussion from a book written by Emerson Egricks called Love and Respect. It's a very, very popular book. He's, a, he's an author and a, and a speaker. And uh, just FYI, in February of this next year, we were able he, the, the Egricks only do like a handful of these conferences uh, every year, and they have agreed they're going to be coming out to Salt Lake to host a marriage conference for us, which is super exciting. So, uh, but we're framing it on that book called Love and Respect, and here's what's interesting when you think about those two components of a relationship, that they actually are somewhat gender-specific, according to the Bible. Now, you know, primarily it says that, that a man needs to love his wife and a woman needs to respect her husband. And by the way, I'm not saying that uh, men don't need love or women don't need respect. We need all of that. But as a basic wiring of our gender, men generally are wired for and respond positively to respect. And women are wired for and generally respond positively to love. And so, uh, but, but in any relationship, any relationship, not just marriages, 
Love and respect are key components for everyone. Without love and without respect, you cannot have healthy relationships. So I want to say that for starters. And, and last week, Derek talked again to the men about uh, the command from God to love your wives. And so today, though, uh, sorry, ladies, uh, I'm going to be focusing a lot of my comments to you. <laughs> okay, so uh, men are going to love me and women are going to hate me. But let me say this. This does not let anyone off the hook. This is what happens. The guys are like, fine, they have a message from my wife, and they cross their arms so they can do this one when a good point is made, right? <laughs> Hope you heard that one. I'm going to be talking to all of us because, again, love and respect are common denominators in healthy relationships, period. And I'm going to focus specifically on respect and how women, your call to respect your husband is essential to your marriage, okay? So... Um, I also want to point out that marriage, uh, or I'm sorry, respect isn't just something in the human. Marriage, uh, sorry, respect is important to God, and I don't just mean as it relates to him. Respect is important to God as we relate to each other. Let me tell you two quick Bible stories, and I'll go real fast. Numbers chapter 12, uh, Moses was the leader of the people of Israel, and Aaron, his brother, who was the next in charge, and Miriam, his sister, who was the very uh, sister who, remember, she put him in the basket in the Nile to protect him from being killed when they were in Egypt? Uh, those two, they get a little bit upset. They're jealous. They're actually quite jealous of Moses and his leadership, and they start grumbling and disrespecting him, and they're like, seriously, like, you're like God can only talk to him? Well, the problem with that statement was that God has amazing hearing, <laughs> and he hears it. From all the way from heaven, can you believe it? And he hears this, and so he's going to set them straight. And he says to them, let me, let me explain something to you. Let me explain something, Lucy. Of all of my house, he says, he is the one I trust. I speak to him face to face. Let me be clear, he's the guy, you're not. But not only does he set the record straight, God is so offended by them disrespecting his chosen leader of Israel, he's strikes Miriam with leprosy right there, bam. It says her skin looked white and she was stricken with leprosy. And only because Moses goes back and pleads on her behalf for forgiveness, God says, okay, I'll reverse the disease. And then there's another story. If you remember Elisha, not Elijah, but Elisha, he was a prophet chosen by God for the people of Israel. And one time he's heading into a city and as he's heading into the city, the kids come out and apparently he was bald so the kids come out, and they start mocking him, disrespecting him, saying, it's in the Bible, you look it up, go away, baldy. And they start chanting this, which is really funny, until two bears come down out of the hills and maul all 42 of the kids who are mocking him and disrespecting him. So, and those were the leaders of Israel. Let me just tell you this. I tell you that story because if you make fun of my hair, you may get eaten by a bear. All right? So... But seriously, it is an important thing to God. Respect as we relate to each other is super important. I believe it's a big deal to God because it's a big deal to us. And it's essential to our healthy relationship. Uh, according to USA Today in 2014, they, they, uh, there was a Harris poll that they published that says that fewer adults believe that teachers have respect for parents and children and even less people believe that teachers and children have respect 
our parents and children have respect for teachers. In other words, disrespect begets disrespect. This is really important for us to understand because sometimes when you feel disrespected, your gut reaction is what? To remove your respect and disrespect back. And what happens is you create a negative respect cycle. And we're going to talk about that a little bit and how important it is, even in those tough times, not to remove your respect when you're called to it. It's also, though, just not in relationships, it's essential to marriages. Business Insider in December of last year published this article about author and blogger Mark Monson. I don't know who he is, but he's apparently some big blogger, and and he was about to get married, so he asked his readers who uh, had healthy relationships to respond and give him some marriage advice so he would know how can he have like one of these uh, marriages like Dale and Alice Rocky. And he started reading, he and his assistant started reading through uh, the emails that came in, and they discovered a very interesting pattern. After I think 1,500 people responded, and after about 500 uh, emails read, they realized this significant pattern. And here's what it was: it said uh, the people who talked about their divorce focused on communication. They basically said communication is the problem and the thing that needs to be fixed. The people who were happily married for 20 plus years, all of them said communication is overrated. It's all about respect. Basically, the argument was, if you're going to spend decades with a person, you're going to miscommunicate, and you're going to misunderstand each other. You're going to have situations where you don't get where the other person is coming from, or you make wrong assumptions. This is just normal. If you spend decades with people, you're going to have miscommunications. So they said, what's actually important is having a base level respect so that even when you misunderstand the person, you don't assume that they're like this awful, horrible person for disagreeing with you. You respect their differences and you respect that they see something differently than you. So that's what the convention of human wisdom is, that respect is essential in relationships. So today, what I want to look at is what does God's word have to say, and I want to attempt to answer two really basic questions from God's perspective. Those questions are this. One, why be respectful? Two, how can I be respectful? And again, like I said, I'm shifting the focus primarily to women. Last week, the guys got beat up. Today's your round, girls. So... We're going to focus on that. So I want to tell you why we should be respectful. The first thing is this. We should be respectful, women, because respect for your husband is God's beauty makeover plan. And if you remember back in the day, there's, there was the show Extreme uh, Makeover, and then they had the home edition. But before that was the Extreme Makeover Person edition, or I don't know what they called it, but it was just about people. And what was, would happen is these people felt unlovely or unbeautiful, and so they would go on this show, and they would get fixed up, and they'd do makeup and hair stuff, and, and a lot, they would oftentimes do uh, cosmetic surgeries and all this stuff to feel beautiful on the outside, all right? And, and I just want to say that I, I think, you know, it's import, be, being beautiful on the outside is important. Men are visual, and, you know, people like to look at. So I, I'm not disparaging that if you, you know, you, I think we should all look the best that we can. It's very important for us. But it's not the end of it. And I want to read a verse, and I want to tell you why I tell you this story. 
This is 1 Peter 3, 3 through 5. It says this, Don't be concerned about the outward beauty of fancy hairstyles, expensive jewelry, or beautiful clothes. You should clothe yourself instead with the beauty that comes from within, the unfading beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is so precious to God. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. Okay. So, while I don't say... Just look ugly, as ugly as you can all the time. And the Bible's actually not saying that either. It's saying look as beautiful as you can, but that's not your primary or ultimate focus. Your ultimate focus is inner beauty. And how do you become beautiful? It says they put their trust in God and accepted the authority of their husbands. So the beauty of the woman biblically came from coming under their husband's authority. All right, so that's the first thing because it's God's beauty makeover plan for you women. The second thing is this. It's a command. It's a straight-out command. Look at Ephesians 5.33. It says this. So, again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And now, I want to just dissect this passage for a second because I know the fact that I've just said the Bible says you must respect your husband. Some of you had adverse reactions to that strong language. I get it. But let me look at this passage and help you understand why I think this is so pivotal in our marriage relationships, okay? First, if you go back to verse 21... Through the end of chapter 5, actually into almost the end of the book in chapter 6, this passage is a relational guidebook for all relationships. It says, husbands love your wives, wives respect your husbands, children obey your parents, parents don't exasperate your children, bosses treat your workers fairly, workers obey your bosses. And what I want you to understand in that cycle is that it's creating a cycle of mutual submission, right? If you love your husband, he's going to be a lot more likely to respect you and vice versa. If you obey your boss, he's going to treat you more fairly, right? Children, when children obey, you have less propensity to aggravate and exasperate your children. So it's a mutual submission. Look at, look at this in... Uh, Chapter 5, verse 1 and 2, even before this, it says, Follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. And then in verse 21, he says this, Submit to one another out of reverence for God. Both of you submitting to each other. All of us submitting to one another. And let me ask, women, let me ask you this question. Based on the verses that I just read, if you knew your husband was following God's example and committed to walking in love and submitted to both Christ and you, would you have any pause to submit to him? The only reason you would say yes is because you say, I don't want to follow God. And if you knew your husband was fully submitted to God and fully submitted to you, it would be easy to submit and easy to respect. And so when you think about this mutual submission and coming under the authority, strong language I know, but coming under the authority of your husband, 
You need to think about it as, a, as uh, like the, the, he's the first among equals. He's not the dominator or superior. He's just the first among equals. See, here's what you need to understand that's very important, women. Men want to take on the responsibility of the relationship. And if you won't come under the leadership of him, you thwart his ability to take on the responsibility of the relationship. Okay? So, it's a command. That's the second thing. Why respect? The third thing is, it's God's plan to guide your husband to him. Now, here's the thing. You go, okay, cool, but here's the deal. But what if my husband isn't fully submitted to walking in a way of love and isn't submitted to God? Basically, what if my husband is not respectable? Then am I off the hook, right? I'm off the hook because he's not doing his thing. I don't have to do mine. Well, unfortunately, no. Look at this passage in 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2. It says this, in the same way, Wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Then, even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words, and they will be won over by observing your pure and reverent lives. Let me just say, he starts by saying, in the same way, and in the same way means, as I've been talking about, what's he been talking about? He's been talking about how can we live as godly individuals in an ungodly society, so basically what he's saying is, how can we make godly choices when the world says this is the right choice, but God says this is the right choice? And his summary is with wives that you should respect even when they don't. And why? Because when you respect, even when they don't deserve it, your godly lives have the power to lead them through the demonstration of the gospel and respect in your life Back to Christ. Women, do you understand the power that you hold over your husband by simply respecting and following God's plan? That's amazing. And secondly, let me just tell you this. Wouldn't you rather at the end of the day, at the end of your life, be able to stand before God and say, God, I did what you told me wholeheartedly. It's on you. Rather than you having to figure out, how am I going to get my husband to become a Christian? How am I going to get to how am I? It's not on you if you just do this one simple thing, and that's to respect your husband. Okay? So that's the why. Now let's look at the how. And we're going to use a word here. This is from the Love and Respect book, and we're going to help, it's going to help us understand. There it is, chairs, how to be respectful, chairs. And if you have pen and paper, this is in your notes, write this stuff down. I'm telling you this, again, this is straight from the, the book. This is really important stuff. And it's important stuff because, you know, my, my wife and I, I feel God has blessed us with a really healthy uh, relationship. I feel like we have a good relationship. But even early on, one of the things we discovered is that we didn't understand ourselves or our spouse. We didn't understand our own wiring or the wiring of our spouse. And I want you women to understand, and even for some of you guys, you may be going, oh, that's why I act like that. Because these six things that I'm going to share with you are so profound if you can understand them and understand how to come alongside and speak into them rather than fighting against them, your marriage is going to be much better, okay? Chairs. So the first is this, conquest. What you need to understand about this, well, first, let's look at Genesis 2.18. It says this. The Lord said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper 
suitable for him. And then in 1 Corinthians eleven nine, 9, it says, For indeed man was not created for the woman's sake, but the woman for the man's sake. And here's what I want you to understand about conquest. Men are designed to conquer things. Men are designed to conquer things. You think about when you were dating, uh, you know, if you're married, you remember this? You remember, like, you, you just, you're, 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 your husband, or even maybe if you're still dating, how they just had to conquer, they kept coming, they were going to win your love. And I remember when I, I've, you may have heard this story, I've probably shared it before, when I, uh, I met my wife Susie the very first time, uh, my roommate was actually introducing me to this girl he thought was perfect for me. And as I'm talking to her, I see Susie walk past, and I could not get out of the conversation fast enough, because that was the girl I was going to marry. And I'm, I promise you, I knew it like that. <laughs> Ten months later, we were married. And so I was, but here was the problem. No one knew this girl. She was like a ghost or something. I'm like asking everyone, who is it? I don't know, I don't know. But I wouldn't let that deter me because my conquest nature said, that's the girl, figure it out, make it happen. But I want to tell you guys something else. This is for the guys now. Women, you can cross your arms, get ready. (laughs) Guys, just because you've married your wife, you're not done with the conquest. Keep conquering. Plan a date for criminy. (laughs) Surprise her, right? Men are designed to conquer. It's very, very, very important part of who we are, okay? So women, now let me express this to you. How can you see that wiring and speak into it, his conquest nature? First, tell him that you value his efforts every once in a while. You know, you see him doing something... (laughs) Say, wow, I really appreciate that about you. You have no idea how far that will take your relationship. Express faith in him related to his chosen field. Like, let me tell you this story about my wife. And we'd been married one year, and I was working at a uh, school. We we were both educators. I was working at a school as a private school, and I really loved the job. But it it had some things about it that just weren't right. I, I, I knew that God was calling me to move out of that into something else. Uh, and pay was really bad in that first job. And so I, I came home and I, sa- I said to Susie, man, I got to find another job. I, I, re- I really believe God's calling me to something else. And so she said, all right. So we sat down and we prayed about it. We came up with a plan as, how, as to how we're going to attack this. We're going to go forward. And the, the school year ended and I quit the job that I was at and I started applying. So it was really awesome because we were super unified in this process until it gets to be close to August. Well, you know what happens in August? School starts. Guess who doesn't have a job? This guy. So I'm like super stressed out, right? And so, uh, you know, I, <laughs> I knew I was supposed to go to something else, but here's, here's why I'm sharing this story, because in that moment, I, went, I actually went to Susie, and I'm like, hey, listen, yeah, I've only been married a year, I'm trying to think about the next time our whole families get together, and they go, hey, nice job, guy. You're not working, huh? Nice. Way to take care of your wife, my sister, or my daughter, or whatever. And so I was really stressed about this, and... Um, I said to her, hey, Suze, you know, I think I could go back to my boss and get that job back. I'm pretty sure I could. Now, in that moment, she had a couple options. She could have been like, yeah, we need money. Go get it. Speak into my fears. Speak not into my conquest nature, but speak into the immediate moment and all those fears. She didn't do that. She said, no, Mike, we are very clear. We prayed about this. I believe in you. I know you're going to get the job. Stick to the plan and I got the job. 
She had the power in that moment to really change things in her life, but through her trust in me and her belief in my conquest nature, we ended up in a different place. So, women, listen to his stories about work. Support his dreams when he's thinking of different things that he wants to do. And this is really important. Don't dishonor by subtly criticizing his work or pit it against his amount of love for you. Let me say it this way. Don't speak negatively into his conquest nature. And incidentally, moms, dads, you can do the same thing into every relationship and speak positively into the conquest nature. Support the dreams. Support that next step that your sons want to take. Don't wait till they're married for this to happen. It can happen now. So the first C is conquest. Second H is hierarchy. And this is about understanding and appreciating the wiring that we have as men to protect and provide. Let me share with you an embarrassingly great story. So I just live a few miles from here and, uh, in, in Murray, the best city in all of Salt, uh, Salt Lake County. And um, uh, so if I come down State Street, I pass McDonald's. And so sometimes, I don't really like McDonald's, but they have dollar beverages. So I, uh, on the way to work, I'll stop sometimes. And for $1.07, I can have a large coffee, right? So uh, here's, here's the background that I didn't know about. So... My credit, my uh, bank, I have a debit card, and um, apparently they suspected uh, credit card fraud, okay? Uh, <laughs> retrospectively, like I called them after the fact, much like later this day, to find out what was going on. They're like, yeah, we suspected credit fraud. Like, did you buy a two-inch brush at Home Depot? Mm-hmm. Did you buy three tunes on iTunes? Mm-hmm. Okay, I guess there was no fraud. So I was pretty upset about that, you know. Maybe they're saying maybe you should do more home improvement. I, anyway, uh, but so they shut my card off. They, they, they canceled my card, and then guess what? They didn't tell me. Well, I never carry money, so I go through the drive-through to spend my $1.07 after tax, on a coffee. So I order the coffee. I drive up to the drive-up window. I pull out my card. I give it to her. She swipes it. I'm sorry, sir. It's been declined. Well, that's weird. Why don't you run it again? Sorry, sir. It's declined. So I pull out and I pull into the parking lot just to pull out my phone. I look at my banking statement. And I'm like, I have lots. I have money in there. I got at least like six dollars or something. So <laughs> no, I seriously, I had money in there, and I was really, I just been paid. And so I'm super confused by this. I'm like, whoa, there's money in here. So what does any reasonable individual do? I get back in the drive-thru line to order my coffee and prove her wrong. So I order, I order the coffee. I drive up the window. I'm like, I just checked my bank. It's in there. Run it, baby. <laughs> Sorry, sir. It's been declined. So now this hierarchy desire to provide is on fire. And from here on out, I had no control over my own actions. They happened involuntarily. I was watching myself do this. So I know, because I just looked at my bank account, I have money in there. So I say, no, 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 there's money in there. I just checked my bank account. She's like, well, I, she's super gracious. I, I believe you, sir. I just can't do anything about it. I'm like, no, I bought. And I look it, and I pull out my phone. Oh, my gosh. And I hold the phone out the window. Look. And she's like, sir, I do not need to see your bank account. <laughs> Okay, and this is pretty terrible, and, and, and I'm like, oh, no, but, it, you know, it's not even about the coffee, because there's coffee in the green room when I get to work, so I don't, I just need to prove that I can provide for my family $1.07 to this stranger that I may never see again, 
But here's where it gets really bad because she's like, I'm sorry, sir, there's nothing I can do. And there's this 18-year-old guy, he's, you know, he's sweeping or mopping behind the um, window. And he leans in, he's like, hey, it's cool, dude, I got you. He reaches in his pocket and he gives the lady a dollar seven. I'm like, no, don't do that. Oh. <laughs> and she's like, no, sorry, sir, he already paid for you. Just go get your coffee. And I'm like, oh, and I drive up and get the coffee and drive off. <laughs> Glad you can laugh at me. But here's the thing. See, what happened is I needed, I don't even need just my wife to understand I can provide. I need the whole world apparently to understand I can provide. A dollar seven. I didn't even have the change. I couldn't, I'm looking in my car for a dollar, so I didn't even have change in the car. Oh, anyway, here's what I want to share, share with you. Look at this passage, 1 Timothy 5.8. It says this, Anyone who does not provide for their relatives, and especially for their own household, has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. See, we're called to provide. We're wired to provide. It's part of our role as husbands. And for you wives to understand, your husband's job is to provide. So here are some things you can do. Praise him every once in a while. You know, share with us, hey, good job. Thank you for doing this for us. Our family is do doing well because of you. He needs to know. We need to know that you don't take us for granted. Secondly, this is kind of interesting one. Empathize with us when we share with you our struggles and our mindset about position. You know, especially like rank and one up or one down kind of position, you know. We look at a, the surroundings around us and I can't figure out why this guy's taking the next step and I'm not. That's just part of the wiring we have in this hierarchical brain that God gave us. So empathize with that. Don't mock us. Don't go, Dude, why do you even care about that? I don't know, but I do. And assure us that you're with us. Don't, none of this, if you don't make more money, I'm out. Any, just so you know, any of the if you don't, then I will, that is a terrible way. For, this is horrible communication for your relationship. Horrible, horrible, horrible. When you start to put things against each other, you create divisions and breaks in your relationship. Don't do that. Encourage. And then, but here's the reality. You may be stressed or have some concerns about how your finances are going. It's okay to respectfully express those to him and say, hey, how can we together figure this out? That's completely appropriate and actually really valuable and brings the two of you together rather than you going, I'm super stressed. You never earn enough. You need... Don't do that. Okay? So C is H. The third A is authority. Okay? Ephesians 5.22 uh, 5, through 24 says this. Wives, submit yourself to your, hus your own husbands as you do the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church, his body, of which he is Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also Wives should submit to their husbands in everything, okay? Appreciate our desire and our wiring to serve and lead. We're actually designed, it says right there, for the husband is the head of the wife. We're designed, even appointed, to be the leaders in our house. And too often, one bad thing really happens, actually a couple bad things. Men abdicate your leadership and women jump into the lead. 
It's no more clearly demonstrated, maybe, than in Genesis chapter 3. And if you remember this scenario, you know what's happening. Adam and Eve have this encounter with the serpent. And you're saying, no, 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 Mike, it's just, it just, just Eve was having it. No, let me, let me show you something. Look at this passage. Genesis 3, 6 says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. Last words, who was with her and he ate it. Let me ask you a question. Why is he standing there like he doesn't have a voice? Because he abdicated his role of leadership in the home. And guys, let me tell you this. When you abdicate your leadership in the home, it makes your wife feel insecure and feel like someone leads, needs to lead, so she's going to jump in. Do not abdicate your role of leadership. But let me tell you this. Women, do not trump your husband's God-given appointed leadership in your house. I'm just going to tell you, when you trump his leadership, it creates bitterness between the two of you. It will create this festering thing, like she never lets me lead, and I'm so angry. Don't do it. So, what can you do to respect his authority and understand that he's wired, actually been appointed for this? Tell him you're thankful for his strength and actually being able to lean on him. Right? Put him in the position, so thank you so much for being there for me. I need you so much. Praise his good decisions. Every once in a while when he makes a good decision, don't give him that, well, about time, goodness. Don't, get, don't, don't do that. How about, thank you, that was a great decision. That's really good for us. I appreciate that. I want you to know I noticed it. Support his self-image as a leader. And by the way, again, parents, you can do this with your children, your boys right now. Support their self-image as leader. When my kids go to work or school, every day we drop them off and I say, you know the last thing we say to them? Be a leader. Go be a leader. Be a leader. Be a leader. I want my children to know that God designed them to lead. And you can do that with your kids. Also, gently and reasonably give reasons for disagreeing with them, but never attack their God-given leadership. You, you, be gracious and forgiving, too, because, okay, everyone will say amen after I say this. Guys, you're going to make mistakes. Amen. The idea that your husband is going to perfectly make every choice, there's no biblical model of that even. Not a single person in the Bible outside of Jesus made every decision right. Graciously and forgivingly talk about the mistakes but never thwart his leadership in the house, okay? Amen. So we have C. <laughs> little personal revelation over here to the right. <laughs> C is H, A, and I is insight. Insight. Understand that men are wired to analyze and counsel. How many of you, married individuals or previously married, whatever, have had this conversation? Women, you pour your hearts out, and he immediately fixes everything. And you're like, I didn't need you to fix it. I just needed you to hear it. Raise your hand if that's happened in your relationship. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You guys are liars. I don't even know why. Okay, so, well, never mind. We're not wired for it. It's like, no, what... 
You, what's really important is, and it's very fair and valid for you to go, I don't need you to fix something. Here's the thing. If you don't need to fix something, you just want to express yourself, say, hey, don't fix this. Can I just share with you something I need to get off my chest, something I want you to be aware of? I just need to get emotionally process this. Just, that's great. And then, then, dude, shut up. Don't, don't try and fix it. But here's what I want you to understand about guys. Since we're wired for analyzing and counseling, what you should understand is that this is a male brand of empathy. When my wife, when Susie shares something with me and I see her struggling and in pain, you know what the first thing I want to do? I want to help her be out of pain. That's why I immediately jump to fix-it mode. And if she says to me, I don't need you to fix it, I won't. But otherwise, my way of empathizing with her moment is to try and help her get through this moment. So understand that, and don't go, you always try and fix it. Can't you just ever listen? Tell him up front. Thank him for advice every once in a while. So that's your insight. So C is H A I. Insight, and then R. This is the last one, relationship. And understand that men are wired for shoulder-to-shoulder relationship. Look at Philippians 2, 3 through 5. It says this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each, other, but each of you to the interests of others in your relationships with one another. Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. And here's why I tell you that. Here's why I use this passage. Your husband, you need to understand, men desire shoulder-to-shoulder activities, what they call it. That's where you're doing things together, where you're actually expressing yourself and sharing time together. Um, and my wife, by the way, my wife, I'm just going to brag about her. She's really great at this. Hey, let's do this together. Let's do this together. And her goal isn't always that we're accomplishing things. That's, sometimes that's my goal. Her goal is that we're unifying around something that we're together. And, but here's what you need to understand. Men, you want these shoulder-to-shoulder activities, and you want them with your wife. You want them with friends. And so here's what you can do. First, actually tell your husband that you like him. Yeah, I'm not even joking. We teach a marriage class, and people, there are people in class, they don't even like each other anymore. Okay? It's a problem. You don't like someone. Being married to them is really hard. And what you can do is, why do I read this passage about think of their interests more than yourselves? It's because you can find things that your husband likes to do, and the husbands should do this for their wives as well, and say, hey, I know you love to do this. Let's do it. Can we? I'd love to do that with you. Here's a great example. I love music. I could go to concerts every night of every week, five in a row, and that would be like poking my wife in the eye with a hot iron because... She doesn't hate music. It's just like, it's a little over the top. And you another, you know, that would be her response. But she doesn't express that to me. She'll say, oh, no, I don't really, you know, I don't really know that band. I don't think I want to go to that one. But I'll throw another one out. Say, yeah, I like that band. Let's go. So she comes with me, and we go to concerts from time to time. I don't need to go to everything. She also gives me space to go on my own. But understanding that the point of shoulder-to-shoulder activity is us doing something together where we grow our relationship and our friendship, and we get to know each other more. Okay, so you can do that for him. Um, And then I would just say this, don't pit shoulder-to-shoulder relationships that your husband has with with friends against yourself. 
any time you pit an either or, it's a really, really bad struggle and a kind of a complicated situation you've just created. Is you love them more than me? Those kind of comments don't help you. Now, it's fair to say, hey, I'd love to spend, you, you spend tons of time with you. Let's talk about how much you can do that, and I'd love to spend some time with you. And what I'm trying to help you understand is what you should do is assertive communication. I would like this from you, and I want to spend time with you, and I want to know you, so I want to do this with you shoulder to shoulder. Okay, that's the relationship piece. All right? And then finally, the, let's talk again. C is H A I R and S is sexuality, okay? Understand that men are wired for sex, okay? Period. Look at this. Look at this. <laughs> uh, um. All right. Men are wired for sex. Now, here's what I want. Let's look at this passage, 1 Corinthians 7, 3 through 5. Okay? By the way, so are women, just so you know. Okay? So are women. But here it is. 1 Corinthians 7 says this, the husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body. Uh-oh. But yields it to her husband. In the same way, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other, except perhaps by mutual consent, and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Here's what I want you to know about this. Again, this is based in a mutual submission context. So I, the guys love it when they hear, my wife does not have authority over her body. I do. But listen, guys, you don't have authority over your own body. Your wife does. And it says that you should not keep each other, don't withhold sex from each other because that can lead to temptation and moral failure and all kinds of stuff outside of the marriage. And I'm going to tell you, women, men too, if you are withholding sex in order to get something from your spouse, you are damaging your relationship. You are damaging your relationship. Sex is not collateral. Sex is designed as mutual submission for the ultimate goal of unity. And when you use it as a leveraging point, you're not bringing unity, you're bringing division. Now, talk about what that means in your relationship. Be reasonable about it, right? You have to have good discussions about this. But you need to understand, women, that men need sexual intimacy in the same way that you need emotional intimacy, and vice versa. Men need emotional intimacy, and women need sexual intimacy as well. It's super important for your relationship, okay? So here's what we're going to do. Let me say it one more time. C, H, A, I, R, S. Okay, those are the building blocks of your marriage. And understanding that is how your husband is wired. Here's what I want to do as we close today. I'm going to call the band forward. And we're going to do a closing song. Don't feel a need to sing along with this. You likely won't know this song. But it's just a song that expresses 
the true beauty of what a relationship looks like when we are mutually submitting to each other and the glory that happens around a healthy relationship before God. And here's what I want you to understand. That God's design for marriage is to make us not happy necessarily, but to make us more like him. And here's what you should know about this. When you become more like God, you will become more happy. But pursuing happiness does not necessarily make you godly, and in many cases will make you ungodly. Ultimately, here's what I'm saying to the women that are here today. Are you looking for that happy, lasting marriage? Like Dale and like the Rockies, are you, you looking for that? If so, then your best hope of having a happy, lasting marriage is by submitting to God and pursuing a godly marriage. So submit to God and respect your husband. Ultimately, here's what I'm saying to the guys. Are you looking for that happy, lasting marriage? If so, then your best hope of having a happy, lasting marriage is by submitting to God and pursuing a godly marriage. So submit to God and love your wife. God's desire for us is to live according to his good and perfect design. This happens through mutual submission to one another. And it happens in relationships and definitely in our marriages. So I want you just to appreciate the beauty of this next song, understanding what God's design for the beauty of the marriage that we have.